Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. We have to be able to be honest about our anger. We have to be able to communicate that we're angry about things. We have to be able to understand that there is a place for our anger in our lives, in our relationships. And that place is usually informing us that a boundary has been crossed, either that we've crossed it within ourselves, we've allowed ourselves to act you know, disrespectfully or cross our own values or cross our own boundaries, or that another person has crossed our boundaries, right? That our partner has said something that was disrespectful or has done something that felt demeaning or humiliating. And we need to be able to tune into that anger and say, hey, actually, I didn't like that. That, that made me feel angry. I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back for episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and today's guest is Connor Beaton. Connor is a men's life and relationship coach, the founder of Man Talks, and is one of the leading voices regarding helping men become the healthiest and best version of themselves. Today on the show, we discuss why so many men are struggling and feeling lost right now, whether or not nice guys finished last, how men can stop feeling so lost and improve their self-worth, why men being vulnerable won't solve all of their problems, what holds men back from making changes in their lives, how men can learn to communicate their problems effectively to others, and so much more. So let's get this conversation going and welcome Connor Beaton back to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Connor, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me back. Why do you think that nice guys finish last? Oh, boy. This is like the internet question, right? There's so much hot debate about this part. I think the the simple version of it is generally speaking, nice guys don't have boundaries. So they're not direct. They're not clear. They're not assertive. And generally speaking, they are outsourcing their sense of value and worth to the external world, specifically to women. And when you, when anybody outsources their worth and their value out to the world or to the opposite sex and gender, then you're going to, it's going to cause some uh, imbalances in power. And when you have that, you depolarize things sexually. And so what 
nice guys are often looking for is a great relationship and they want to be, you know, close and connected with the women that they're dating. And of course, I'm talking about a heterosexual relationship. And what ends up happening is that they run around trying to do everything that they think their partner wants or needs. Or let's say they're trying to get a date and they'll run around trying to do all the things that they think that that woman wants and needs. And what he ends up finding is that he gets rejected or, you know, benched or friend zoned or ghosted or whatever the case may be. And now just to be clear, I'm not advocating for being an asshole. I don't think that that's the right answer either. And the pendulum seems to like swing super hard in either direction. It's like you can be, uh, you can be a good man and also be very direct and very assertive. What I'll say is nice guys, quote unquote, finish last mostly because they they end up in positions where they don't respect themselves. That's the real key. That's the real kicker, where they make decisions, choices, they have actions and behaviors that they ultimately don't respect. And that diminishes their internal sense of self-worth and self-value. And it, and it basically reinforces that they have to go outside. And I say they, like, I've been that nice guy. You know, I've been that guy hungry for female validation and, you know, thirsting and, and craving validation from the external world. Like me, please tell me I'm good enough, all that kind of stuff. And I think the last piece I'll say, and I'll, I'll pause and we'll see if you want to go anywhere with this, is that oftentimes nice guys are the way that they are because of some type of pain, abuse, or trauma. It's it's very common that a nice guy is a nice guy because that's been beaten into him that he's been told not never to be like his father who was, you know, maybe abusive or an alcoholic or, you know, abandoned the family or whatever. And so I think for a lot of guys, they are the nice guys that they are because it's wrapped up in their childhood pain or in their childhood trauma in some capacity. Yeah, it's like we're trying to never live out what we hated as a kid, right? Or what we saw growing up, we're trying to make sure that we course correct and over and we overcorrect sometimes to a fault, right? Like you said, like the pendulum just sometimes seems to swing so far to the opposite direction where you're told not to be nice. So then you just become this complete jerk and that's, that doesn't work either. I think another interesting dynamic of this, you know, we're talking about heterosexual relationships is that a lot of times you're, you'll hear women say, you know, I've dated nothing but jerks in my life and I'm tired of, of dating people that don't treat me right. So then a guy hears that and is like, oh, well, they just, they want somebody to treat them in a certain way. Like when women are saying that, like, what are they actually looking for when it comes to the way men treat them? There's a couple of things that I think are important. One is just to go back to the nice guy thing. I think that, and I've said this before on a, another show or two, and it seemed to hit home, and which is, I think we're living out one of the first times in maybe human history, but certain, certainly modern history, where what it means to be a good man and masculinity are largely not defined by men anymore. And so when you look culturally and socially at what, the, what defines a good man, it's largely coming from women. And women are largely defining what that looks like and what that should, what that sounds like and how men should behave and and all of those parameters and for a lot of men they've acquiesced that that not that power necessarily but they've they've let go of any input 
into what it means to be a good man and what it means to be masculine. So I think that that's just an important piece of the puzzle. And now I've sidetracked myself and forgotten your question. So if you could help me out and throw me a line, that'd be helpful. What I was saying before was that I think it goes along with what you were saying is that guys will hear women, whether it's their peers or just friends or people that they're, they're dating, be like, you know, I've dated so many jerks in the past. You know, I just want somebody to treat me right. I'm just looking for a good guy. I'm tired of, of dating like the quote unquote bad boy or whatever. And so my question was, you know, what, what do you think women actually want from a man? Like, what does that even mean? Like when they're saying that, because they don't want somebody they can disrespect and walk all over either. Like that's not attractive. How can a guy come in and, and have like that healthy balance? So generally speaking, and sometimes I get in trouble for saying what women want, but we're, we're going to go down that territory anyway. Um, generally speaking, women Women want to know where you as a man stand, even if they don't necessarily like it. So they want to know what you want, what direction you want the relationship to go. They want to know, you know, what you like sexually. They want to know whether you want a serious relationship or not. Generally speaking, women want to know your truth. And they want to know that because women and men often are looking for slightly different things relationally. And for a lot of women, what they're, what they're looking for in the background is, am I safe? Is this relationship safe? Are you as a man safe physically, emotionally, intellectually, financially, in all the different areas, right? Are, are you safe for me to open up and be vulnerable with, for me to fall in love with, for me to sleep with, for me to build a relationship with or get married or have kids? Are you safe and trustworthy? And nothing is more terrifying for most women than not knowing where you stand and not knowing what it is that you want or how you think or what you're feeling. The challenge with a lot of nice guys is that they withhold what, what their truth is, right? how, like where they're at in the dating and relationship, right? Maybe they don't want a relationship, but they feign that. I call this the, the cuttlefish effect. I don't know if you've ever seen cuttlefish before, but usually it's a very sort of standard mating system of hierarchies where the male cuttlefish will battle it out to get female mating rights, essentially. And the smaller male cuttlefish that can't do that they actually feign, they change their body structures, they change their colors, and they dupe the, the larger males into thinking that they're another female. And then they swoop in and they mate with the female underneath the guise of the male. And so what happens with nice guys is that oftentimes they'll withhold their truth because they think that that will provide some type of safety for the woman. So they'll withhold that they don't actually want to be in a relationship just to get sex, right? Or they'll withhold that they really want to be in a long-term relationship or, you know, what they want sexually or that they, you know, they're not willing, they don't want to watch The Bachelor or whatever it is, right? They'll withhold that to create some type of ease or consistency or peace that provides the camouflage of safety and trust. And so it's very confusing for women because when that nice guy starts to open up and be honest and be direct, or he starts to complain or he gets angry, she's like, wait a second, you haven't asked for any of these things for the first year of our relationship, or we've been dating for six months and you've been watching The Bachelor with me every week. Why are you telling me now that you're pissed off and that you don't want to watch this? So Generally speaking, women are looking for transparency and directness. And 
there's many sort of evolutionary reasons for that. There's many psychological reasons for that. Um, but I think, I, you know, I think we can just leave that there in terms of like that they're looking for safety and trust, but they're looking for safety and trust in directness and assertiveness. It's also just a turn on, right? It's a, it's a, how do I want to say this? <laughs> it's also for a lot of women, it's a sign that you are okay with confrontation. There's a couple of things about confrontation that are important. And I, I feel like for, for us as men, it's a tricky situation, right? Because society tells you as a man that you should understand your capacity for dominance and your capacity for aggression and to be able to turn it on and turn it off under any given circumstance, right? You should be able to be direct and be assertive under very specific circumstances, but know under other circumstances that it's not okay for you to be direct and assertive. And the challenge is that that is wildly different in today's social settings and, and surroundings, right? You might go to one city where the average population of women are like, I want you to approach me in the Starbucks. I want you to come talk to me. And then you go to another city where they're like, that's sexual harassment. If you come and talk to me and approach me, I'm not, I don't want that at all. You know, that's like, you're invading my privacy, you're invading my space. And so for a lot of men, there's this, there's this sort of tumultuousness that I think a lot of guys really feel right now, which is that there's an expectation on them to be able to turn on and off their assertiveness, their directiveness, their, uh, their, their sort of like proclivity towards maybe being a little bit more direct. Um, so I think that's the kind of double bind, but on average, women are going to to look for the cues of men that are more direct and more assertive because that is a that's a mating cue for safety security and trust because at the very least you know where that man stands i think just hearing everything that you just said and taking a step back and looking at this you know from like a bird's eye view like looking down this massive situation i think a lot of it comes down to i think a lot of men are feeling lost right now like whether they're not respecting themselves, whether they don't trust themselves, they don't know what they want in a relationship, they lack the self-confidence, and then they're confused by society. Like you said, like you're like, all right, like in this city, maybe if I approach a woman, it's seen as attractive. If I approach her here, it's seen as being a creep or whatever the, the situation may be. And so I think they just guys are just, they're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what I stand for. Should I stand for this? Should I stand for that? Because I want a relationship, but I also don't want to come across as being like weird. So I guess in digesting all of what I just said, like, what do you think is a a good first couple steps for a guy that's listening to this or watching this that wants to not feel so lost, not feel so confused with who they are so they can take a step in the right direction to actually become not only a good man in society, but they can have this healthy relationship down the road that they want? Yeah. So a couple of things, I think. First and foremost, we need to all look at our relationship to masculinity itself. You know, I think in a lot of ways, men, we as men are, as a collective, especially in Western culture, a lot of men are lost. And I've been talking about this notion of the epidemic of male vacancy, that you see less men graduating from college than ever before, right? But within the next five years, you're going to have two women graduating for every one man, which poses all kinds of potential challenges. You have more men uh, vacating work than ever before. So you have 7 million men that are of working age in America that aren't working between the age of 24 and 55. You have 
you know, less men in the workforce, less men in universities, you have less men in dating. And so it's creating all these sort of challenges. But part of part of the challenge, part of the problem that's feeding into this is that a lot of men don't have healthy or proper male role models to actually model healthy masculinity on, right? So like, for example, one in four children in America are going to grow up without a father in the household, right? One in four, you have a quarter of the children in America that will grow up without a father figure in the household. And so if you're a young boy and the expectation is that you're going to learn how to be a man in some ways off of the modeling of your father, and if he's not around or if he's absent, then there's just this vacancy of seeing how a man deals with his anger, seeing how a man deals with his problems, seeing how a man interacts with women, how he treats them respectfully, all these types of things. And so if you have been one of those men where maybe there was a vacancy of men in your life or your father wasn't around, and then you get into an education system that is predominantly female driven, right? There's it's like 75% of teachers are women. And so there's a very small population of men that are teachers. You can literally get into your adult years as a man, having never really had a direct male influence in your life. And that creates a vacancy. And so I think for a lot of young men, a lot of men in general, where we need to start is to look at a few simple things. Number one is, can you and are you willing to prioritize getting around other men in order to start to see what it's like to interact, to be challenged by another man, to be mentored by an older man, to, to see how other men hold themselves and carry themselves and talk about challenging political issues or social issues or relational challenges or sexual problems? Can you be around men who are being open and transparent and who are modeling the thing that I was talking about before, which is being direct, being transparent and being assertive when necessary, but also being able to temper that directness because it can border on aggression sometimes, right? So being able to understand your relationship with your anger and your aggressiveness. So that's number one, right? It's like the saying, iron sharpens iron. What all that that really means is masculinity sharpens masculinity. And so if you have grown up in a vacuum with no masculine influences, there's nothing sharpening your masculinity. There's nothing helping you refine what it actually is. And so it becomes very hard to cultivate healthy masculinity. So that's one piece. The second piece that I think is very helpful that doesn't get talked about enough um, within the therapeutic industrial complex is being able to develop skills and characteristics within yourself that allow you to feel more competent and that elevate your sense of value as an individual. And for a lot of guys, when they look out at self-help and, and, you know, content from the, from the therapeutic world, what they're met with is a lot of content that's telling them just be more vulnerable, right? Just open up, just talk about your, you know, your feelings and your emotions, your problems, and you'll feel better. And I talk about this notion in my book, uh, men's work. I wrote a chapter called the myth of male vulnerability. And the myth is very simple. The myth is that your problems as a man will be solved if you're just more vulnerable. That's the myth. You will feel better and it is, a, it is an integral part of the problem, right? You might need to 
express what you've been going through or, you know, what happened to you in childhood or how terrible the divorce was with your ex-wife or, you know, how brutal it feels for you to be separated from your kids and feeling helpless to be able to see them more than once a month. You probably do need to talk about those things with people. That is for sure. But for the majority of guys, that doesn't alleviate the problems that they're actually feeling in their everyday life. Most of the challenges that men are feeling is a lack of competency. They don't feel capable or competent in communicating effectively with their wife or their girlfriend or their kids. They don't feel capable or competent in the bedroom. And so they are deeply insecure and they don't initiate in their relationship. They don't feel capable or competent at public speaking. And so they never talk up at work. And then they are bitter and resentful about getting over, you know, looked over for the next promotion. So a lot of these things that we as men need to do is about looking at what are the skills and the competencies that I actually want to develop in myself, right? Do I want to be more disciplined in my body? Do I want to have a deeper level of financial acumen? And I'll give a personal example. I didn't know shit about finances and I was deeply insecure for a long time. I had a lot of debt. And I didn't know anything about money. Nobody taught me anything. Nobody taught me about taxes. I'd go to H&R Block and they'd file it for me. And one of the most um, empowering things that I've done in my relationship to money is, is learn about money, is learn about how financial systems operate, how stocks work, how ETF funds work, you know, where to invest, the difference between short-term and long-term, blah, 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 the whole thing. So I think that these are some of the things that we as men need to start to tackle. And then specifically with women, just to narrow in on that front, you have to practice in-person conversations. There's no way around it. You have to. And the reason for that is that the truth is that something like 50% to 60% of men on something like Tinder or Bumble are, are not going to get any traction, any conversations, any dates any sexual interactions, any relationships at all. The data is very clear. If you're in the bottom 50 to 60% of men on Tinder or Bumble, you're not getting anything. You're not getting any swipe backs. You're not having any conversations. And it's going to be a very disheartening experience. So what do you do? You go into real life. You go into the, the bars. You go into the yoga classes. You you know, go into the coffee shops and the grocery stores and you just start talking to women and you do it in a not creepy way, <laughs> right? You do it in a way where you're like, look, I'm awkward. Like I remember saying to a woman in my twenties, I was like, I'm awkward with women sometimes. And so I just wanted to come over and say hi to you. And that was, you know, she was like, oh, I really appreciate that. And I was like, okay, cool. And we struck up a conversation of where we went. I think that those are some of the things that that men in our modern age need to start to prioritize. I know that was sort of like the big picture and then narrow it down into relationships. So I'll let you take that wherever you want to go. Yeah. I mean, I think a big thing that it seems like it comes down to is taking action and, and building some healthy, health, some healthy level of discipline and habits within um, the context of your day and your week, depending on what the goal is. Like if you're trying to meet more women, it's like, all right, I got to put myself in situations where there's going to be types of women that I want to connect with, whether that's at a gym, restaurant, coffee shop, yoga, et cetera. And you have to surround yourself with great people, which I know is it's, it's very important to do. You have to surround yourself with people that you want to learn from and grow from and that you start to become like a sponge for, for information and for wisdom and stuff and insights. And you also mentioned that 
Like vulnerability without action is a problem. Like just talking about your feelings, just venting. I mean, there's, I'm sure there's a time and place for stuff like that. Like if you go through something traumatic or something happens to you, you go through a breakup, like just venting, I'm sure is, is very therapeutic, but eventually you got to take the action to move through that and move forward and move past that situation. What are some things that you recommend men do and focus on, on a daily basis or on a weekly basis, other than surrounding themselves with the right people? Like what is it that they should be doing to become a quote unquote better uh, man, a more attractive partner? Like, is it the gym? Is it meditation? Is it like, what, what are you telling like some of your clients to do? So one of the biggest things is focusing in on your impulse control. Nothing makes us as men feel weaker than feeling out of control with our impulses constantly watching porn, not being able to put down the bag of potato chips or the ice cream, you know, hitting snooze a dozen times when you, you know, promised yourself you're going to go out to the gym in the morning, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All right. There's so many examples. So where you need to begin as a man is to look at what, what areas or what impulses do I actually need to work on? Do I actually need to rein in because the, the, the majority of us have a very poor relationship with discipline. And what I mean by that is that discipline for me has now become a practice. It's become a, a ritual, a habit, a way of being, characteristic that I embody. Whereas growing up, this discipline was punishment. You know, that's what it was. Whenever I did something wrong, I knew I was going to get punished. Maybe it was verbally or emotionally or sometimes physically. And so for me, discipline became something where, and I call this dark motivation, every single time that I would try and get myself to do something, to stop watching porn, you know, to go to the gym, to wake up earlier, to have better morning routines, I was trying to beat the crap out of myself in order to do those things. And this is what a lot of guys are doing internally, right? They have a goal, they want to make a change, they want to alter something, but how they're trying to get themselves there is by shaming themselves to to do it or, you know, beating the crap out of themselves internally, and then when they don't do it, they are even worse, right? They become sort of verbally abusive inside, what the fuck's wrong with me? I'm such a piece of shit, like such a piece of garbage, blah blah blah. And that's not going to produce the results that we want, right? There's very few people that can sustain, like maybe David Goggins is proficient at that and like kudos to him. I mean, it really seems to work for him to, to sort of embody this like shadow warrior. Um, but for a lot of people, that's going to be very, very challenging and it's not going to produce the results that they want. And so, so we have to start to look at what impulses do I want to rein in? So I, I just recently recorded a video that I put out that has been blowing up called desexualizing your brain for a better life. And I think one of the main things that men need to start to do in, in our modern culture is to desexualize their brain. We are immersed in sexual content. You know, you look at so many guys, Instagram feeds or YouTube feeds, and it's just a wash with, you know, sexualized content of, women in bikinis with motivational quotes underneath, you know, or whatever, like whatever it is that they're, whatever it is that they're looking at and, you know, trying to, trying to pass off as like totally fine. But when they start to zoom out, what they see is that they're, you know, the good chunk of their day is just sexual distraction 
watching porn, looking at stuff on YouTube or Instagram that's distracting them, going on to Twitch or like whatever platform that it is. And so I think that that's one of the main pieces is beginning to desexualize your brain and start to have a better, healthier relationship with your sexual energy, your sexual arousal, and to be able to direct that potency in your life because it is potent. And for a lot of guys, their potency is just wrapped up in porn, right? They're watching porn and jerking off four or five times a week. And, and then they wonder why their sex life isn't the way that they want in their marriage or their relationship. So that's one of the big ones is look at your impulses. And then I, I think secondly is setting a goal for yourself that you really want to try and achieve that you know is going to push your edge. Every man needs to meet himself and meet himself when he is at his edge, when he is uncomfortable, when he's faced with his resistance. And it doesn't matter really what that goal is, right? You could, you could say that your goal is to write a book or you know, to be in the best shape of your life. Um, like I turned 40 in a couple of weeks. And so I set this goal to be in the best shape of my, my life by 40. And it was uncomfortable, you know, cause it meant that I had to shift my eating habits and, you know, get my, my workouts really dialed in. Um, and before <clears throat> I just sort of worked out and did what I want and it was nice, you know, my body looked okay. And I got to this point where I had to put in this huge amount of effort and discipline and really refine what I was eating and not let myself off the hook with the croissant or the popcorn or whatever it is. And that makes a huge difference because when you meet an edge as a man, you meet who you are in confrontation. I've said this a, a couple of times before, but there's no change without confrontation. You cannot change without some type of confrontation whether it's confronting the truth of your laziness, whether it's having a confronting conversation with your partner, whether it's having a confronting conversation with yourself or admitting something, but you, you can't change without confrontation. So those are some of the main pieces that, that men can start to do. And I mean, I'll just always advocate for getting around other good quality men because the research just shows that so many men are isolated and lonely and cut off. And when shit's going south, what the major, the vast majority of men resort to is going inside and trying to lone wolf it, right? Cutting themselves off from their buddies, not telling their friends what's going on, not being honest, you, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I think getting around really good men that you're willing to, yeah, you're just willing to say the really hard shit to. You're willing to call yourself out with those men. That's that's the magic because you're not meant to go alone. There's so many different directions we could go with this. I think the first thing that kind of popped out to me was I would, I would imagine that a lot of men know that giving in to instant gratification and not being able to control their impulses is probably going to lead to, to poor things down the road. I would also imagine that you know, not setting goals for themselves and not pursuing something in life is probably going to lead to some negative outcomes down the road. The problem, I think, is that, that men have these limiting beliefs like, what's the point? I'm not going to even make it, or I can't control this, or things aren't going to work out, or they fall into the victim mindset, or whatever the example is. In your experience, what do you think holds most men back from like, making those changes that they know they need to make? Well, the psychological term would be their shadow. <laughs> uh, it's, the parts of, it's the parts of us. The shadow is just the part of us that we, we don't like 
we reject. We don't want other people to know about. It's the part of us where we hide the aspects of ourself that we think are less than or are inferior. And there's a great saying by an American therapist named Francis Weller. He said that your pain has its own intelligence. Your pain has its own intelligence. And the, the reality is that when you ignore your own pain and suffering, that intelligence has a way of getting in the way of your goals, of your intentions, of your aims, of the career that you want and the, you know, the body that you want and the relationship that you want. And so you have to start to be willing to look at your own pain and your own suffering and understand it, which often, often requires a man to look back in his past. And for a lot of guys, we are future focused. We're like, I want to build this business. I want to get in this relationship. I want to get in this, you know, whatever it is. But the reality is that your past is the block in your present moment. Your past pain is the block in the present moment of going to the gym, of having the conversation with your partner, of, you know, the business meeting that you want to have. That's the block. So you have to be willing to, in some ways, dig in to the past pain, to your experiences, to understand the shadow, to understand your insecurities, to understand your fears, because those are the things that are getting in the way and saying, you know, you can't do it. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You know, you're not attractive enough. You're not good enough in bed, whatever it is. And when you can start to address those things and heal those things and understand what created them and to start to see the pattern that's showing up in your life, then you can start to course correct. But you cannot change what you're not able to see, right? Carl Jung, who created the, the concept of the shadow, said, it is impossible to heal what you cannot, what you cannot separate from. It's impossible to heal what you cannot separate from. Meaning, if you are just an embodied representation of that pattern playing itself out constantly, and you can't see that it's you know, because of this past experience or you know, getting bullied in school or dad leaving or the sexual abuse that you experienced or the physical abuse that you experienced, if, if you're just operating from that pain, you can't heal it. And so we have to create a little bit of space to start to look at that pain objectively and then to be able to understand the impact that it's having in our life. And it's the unsexy answer, right? It's just like it truly is. <laughs> it's like most guys are like, I don't want to look at that shit. I don't want to talk about what happened to me as a kid. I don't want to talk about the bullying. I don't want to like, this is dumb. This is stupid. But the, the reality is that for everybody, you either start to work on that and understand it and understand how it's shaping you or it shapes you and you call it fate. That's just the, that's just the reality of it. So that's one major piece. And I'll probably just leave it at that because I think that's probably good enough. So in the context of working on the shadow, working on the past and talking to other men that are like-minded and that you admire and look up to about life's problems and going through hardship and everything that goes along with that, I think a lot of men, and this is just my, and this is me speaking also from my own experience in that when I've gone through hardship at times, even though I have this great group of guys that I'm connected with and friends with. I'm like, well, I don't want to be a burden. Like, I don't want, you know, to bother them. Like my, my problem of what I'm going through is like in the context of the grand scheme of things, isn't really that bad, even though it's like bothering me with all that said, is there, 
is there like a is there like a healthy way that you found for yourself or even just from some of the clients you've had over the years to be able to I mean not just overcome that limiting belief because obviously people have to but how to communicate effectively to another guy when they're going through something challenging so that it doesn't come across in a way that isn't received well. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, I think there's a, a few different pieces in there. You know, like my my natural instinct is to say get over it, you know, like and and maybe I'll take it a step further because I say this to clients who because a lot of guys say that. Well, I didn't have it as bad as Johnny growing up, or my problems aren't as bad as Tim's. You know, my buddy Tim, he's got his life's real fucked up. Or, you know, well, my dad had it so much, blah, 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 right? We, there's so many excuses. And it's it's sort of twofold. Number one, your problems aren't that special. Your problems just aren't that special. And we pedestal them in, in, unintentionally. A lot of guys will be like, they'll they'll compare their pain or their problems or their suffering or their issues to other men. And they will inadvertently make them special in the comparison, right? Like their problems are so messed up or they're such a big deal. And so they don't, just like you said, they don't want to burden their buddies or their buddies have something big going on. And so they can't bring it forward, right? We have to understand that one comparison is the thief of joy, but it's also the thief of healing. If you want to move through your shit, comparing your shit to another friend's isn't going to get you anywhere. It's going to keep you stuck. It's a means of playing the victim. It's the means of playing small, right? Like I'm so pathetic. I'm so weak. I'm so whatever that even my problems aren't worth talking about. Just notice the victim mentality in that. Even my problems aren't worth talking about. And I'm not saying that's you. I'm not coming at you. I'm just saying that a lot of us men do that. And I did this for ages. Where I was like, my problems are just aren't worth talking about. Other people have worse issues. And what that does is ensures that you stay in relationship with your problem. You stay in relationship with that problem. So you never actually get to address it, change it, alter it, et cetera. And one of the big things that we as men, I wish every single man understood better is attachment. Attachment is at the core of almost every single man's challenges. When we do not feel like it's safe for us to attach to a caregiver, to somebody that we love, our need and necessity for attachment doesn't go away. What happens is that it gets replaced by an attachment to a substance, an object, or a behavior. So this is the root of addiction, addictive behaviors, compulsive behaviors, et cetera. And so for a lot of guys, myself included, for a very long time, this was me to a T. I'm not just talking about men. I'm talking from an experience as a man. I didn't trust relationships. I didn't trust the people in my life. I didn't think that they were capable enough. I didn't think that they could hear what I had to say. I didn't trust them to, you know, whatever the story was. And so I would withhold but I did that because I didn't trust attachment. I didn't trust relationships specifically. And I didn't feel safe or like it was okay to be in relationship with other people in a full, authentic, transparent way. And so I had to trade some of my authenticity in order to be in that relationship. And what we as men need to start to understand and what we need to actually practice in our life 
is that it's okay for you to be a mess or have a problem and that you're not going to get disowned because a lot of men have the experience. I, I think women maybe sometimes underestimate how strong this is for men, what I'm about to say. Men often have the experience of being disposable. That is, the, that is a man's life very often. And a lot of men don't have words for it, but a lot of men feel like if I tell my wife how I'm feeling, if I tell my buddy what I'm going through, I'm going to get disposed of. Like they'll just move on. They'll break up with me. They'll stop talking to me. They'll think I'm a, you know, they'll think I'm weak or whatever it is and I'll be gone. And so for a lot of men, there's this fear of being disposed of. And this is in some ways tied to, you know, years of being disposed of, years of going to war, years of being the ones that have been cannon fodder and et cetera. But it's also a very real social situation for men where men are put in positions of having to do the real hard shit that are, that, that's very, very dangerous, right? Like when you look at the statistics around deaths on job sites and whatnot, it's, it is disproportionately men, right? Men are far more likely to be killed in work than women, just far, far more likely. I think it's like 96.2% of work-related deaths are men. And so men have this experience of being disposed of. And because of that, there's this resistance towards prioritizing secure attachment. There's a resistance towards prioritizing being in a fully authentic, living in a fully authentic way with other people. And so my advice to a lot of men is find at least one or two people where you can start to make the commitment that you're going to be fully transparent, radically and uncomfortably transparent. Now you need to tell them <laughs> and get their buy-in that they're also going to do this with you, right? Like you, you find a buddy, you're like, listen, there's a whole bunch of shit that I, I just haven't talked about that I, you know, I just been living with and I want to shift. I want to change my life. I want to start to live more transparently and be more direct. Are you open to that? Like, are you okay if sometimes I share some hard shit? I'd love for you to do the same with me. I want to be able to have a deep relationship with you where we talk about everything and anything, where nothing is off the table. That's brotherhood. That's camaraderie, right? That's real relationship. And you have to work at it because for a lot of men, that's the skill that we've been lacking because of this vacancy that I've been talking about. We are supposed to have learned that in our relationship with our father. Yeah. I mean, I think it's so important to be able to be direct and, and find people that you're comfortable talking with and also practicing that directness with that person that you feel safe talking to about wanting to have this deeper relationship, this brotherhood that you can authentically share, um, you know, not just, you know, the good things in life, but also the problems that you both experience as well. I also think that in my own experience as a guy, especially growing up, not so much now, my idea of how successful I was as a man was dependent on my athletic ability, what I looked like, my friend group, the level of interest that attractive women had in me, like these, these external things. And because as a kid, I didn't have those things. I was, you know, overweight, not athletic, no luck with women. I, I didn't see myself as being successful. And I think the 
The hard thing with that is I do think that being physically healthy is very important, very important. And that's attractive, I think, to pe- to to women. I do think that having goals and wanting to be successful and wanting to make money is important. That's attractive. And, and I think, you know, wanting to be in the right, you know, with the right people, all these things are attractive. So how do you, how do you balance that in this world where there is this emphasis on external things for success? Like that's not going away anytime soon, but also paying attention to the internal and what you can control to be able to become a good man. Hopefully that makes sense. Yes, I I think so. Um, there is a there is often an inordinate amount of focus put put on a man's ability to perform, right? To perform physically, sexually, financially, etc. And that's true, right? It, it, it's true. I think that that's there both from men and from women. I think that the expect the expectation for for and on men to perform. And still be a provider is a big part of it. Right? I've been talking about recently about how uh, in America, 42% of households, women out earn their male counterpart. And yet, the, if you ask the average woman, it's like 75 to 80% of women still want a man to out earn them. And so there's still this expectation with all of the, um, you know, sort of social equality that has been, that's been pushed for and achieved over the last few decades there's still this expectation of, I want a man who can provide. I want a man who can perform. And so that's there. And I, I think that a lot of men feel that. And I think sometimes it's confusing because there's also this big push for just complete social acceptance, right? Well, you should just accept people for how they are and how they look and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I think that oftentimes, and I don't know if this is going to get me in trouble too. Oh, sorry, Doug. <laughs> I'm not saying a bunch of shit that's going to be, you know, you're going to get in trouble for. But, but I think that largely those things oftentimes don't apply to men. Like men become the exceptions to the rule. So with body positivity and, you know, the like just be who you are and express however you want. I think oftentimes that's not... That's not the case when it comes to men. Men are still expected to perform and to provide and to, you know, sort of have these externalized pressures. And it's not just from men. It's also from a lot of women and that a lot of women are drawn to and attracted to still men who out earn them, men who can provide for them, men who have a certain physical stature, right? 80% of women, just as an example on, on Hinge, I believe it is that have a height preference, 80% of them have their height preference sent to over six feet tall. So if you're under six feet tall, there's this expectation that you're just like out of the pool, right? So I think a lot of guys feel this pressure. Now, what do we do? How do we as guys handle that? What we do is we start to zero in on rather than placing my value externally out into the world on all of these moving targets that we may or may not agree with. We start to pull the nets in and we start to sit and write and meditate and contemplate and discuss with our male friends and people in our lives and elders and you know people that we love and trust. And we start to get very clear on what actually matters to me. What do I want to be good at? What do I genuinely want to develop skills in and feel competent in? 
what inside of myself matters. Do I want do do I want to be somebody who can bench press 225 or do I not care about that? And what's more important to me is that I'm just an exceptional father. And in order to do that, I need to go and learn X, Y, and Z, right? How to communicate better and et cetera. And so we need to start to pull the nets in and actually ask ourselves what's very important to me because what is attractive for a lot of people um, what's attractive for women especially is a man who knows what he wants what he enjoys and a man who has spent time curating those things within himself and so the more the more aligned and congruent you are the more the more coherent you are as a man with this is what i love this is what i enjoy I enjoy, you know, bow hunting or, you know, developing my skills on the shooting range or whatever it is, the more that you're going to attract people who are in alignment with those things, right? Because you will be very clear about your value and what you bring to the table. And the more that you can prioritize that, the less you're going to need validation from outside of yourself. The second thing is to develop some type of surplus that you can contribute back out side of yourself. So one of the most rewarding things for a lot of men is to be able to have something to give back, something to contribute, right? In in traditional initiations, when you look at the when you look at the initiation of a of a young boy going through an initiatory process and entering into adulthood, when he comes back, the initiation is not about him. The initiation is about him returning to the village, to the community, to the tribe, to the relationship, to his family, and being able to contribute more than when he could before he went on the initiation. And so for every man, there is a part of us that yearns for or craves to contribute back to our society, our culture, our relationship, our family, and our friends. And if you develop yourself into somebody who can contribute to your buddies, to your partner, to your kids, to you know the places that you volunteer, whether that's giving back financially or just giving time and wisdom and, and you, you know your presence, that in itself is going to develop a very deep in, in internal sense of value and worth because you will have done something that you can then pour back out into the world. And that is incredibly, incredibly valuable. So for the guy who is doing a lot of the work that you're speaking about, surrounding, surrounding himself with, with great people, working on being more direct, assertive, knowing what he wants, having values that he truly believes in, having hobbies, having these things that he's passionate about and giving back. If he wants to find a partner, do you think that that person like should just not be on dating apps considering what you just said that like a lot of guys aren't even going to be seen when it comes to you know some of the women they might be looking for? You know, there's no harm in giving it a, a go, right? But I think generally speaking, you know, meeting people in real life, meeting people through friends, all of those things are going to serve you better because you're going to develop the social skills, right? You're going to have to have the awkward conversations and the lulls in the conversation, and you're going to have to learn to read body language. Like there's a whole group of people who are very proficient at engaging in conversation digitally who freeze up as soon as they get in person. And that's where it really matters, right? Is this in-person dialogue and discourse that so many people have lost. So sure, be on the dating app, see how it goes, you know, take it with a grain of salt. 
don't take it personally if you you know if you're not crushing it on there it's there's like five percent of guys that are going to go onto a dating app and just clean house and that statistically is just proven it's like something like ninety percent of women are all vying for five percent of men on most dating apps and we can talk about why that is but I think what's more important is just take the dating apps with a grain of salt just because you don't have success on there doesn't mean that you're not going to have success in real life and it doesn't mean that you don't have a tremendous amount to offer go have fun with it engage you know set some parameters around it but do it if you know that it's not going to like damage your sense of worth and value because then that's not worth it you talked about confrontation and i think that a lot of times things like anger can get in the way um, of people being able to have healthy relationships with others. And if you're not careful, like anger can be a very powerful emotion for the positive. Like we make so many changes in life because we were angry. Right. And I think it's important to acknowledge that it's not necessarily this super negative emotion that I think it also, it always gets recognized as, but it can definitely get you in trouble in certain situations. If you're not careful, how do you think about anger as an emotion and how can men begin to harness it? So it doesn't become destructive. Well, I think there's a big difference between anger and aggression. And those those two things are often not defined. And so anger is a normal experience that every human being has. And it's okay for you to be angry and it's okay for you to be upset or disappointed or frustrated, right? Just like it's okay for you to be anxious or sad or whatever it is. So, and and what I'll say about anger is that it's actually a necessary ingredient for healthy boundaries. It's a necessary ingredient for healthy boundaries. Anger helps us to determine whether somebody has crossed a line in our life, whether somebody has crossed a boundary or is testing a boundary. So it's okay to, to feel anger. It's okay to even express anger, right? There's nothing more frustrating oftentimes for women when they're like, they can feel that we're angry and then they label it and they're like, why are you so angry? And then our response is, I'm not angry. <laughs> There's like, for, for most women, it's like, that's the alarm system. That's a red flag. It's just like, but I can tell that you're angry and now I feel unsafe because you're angry. I can feel it and you're denying it. So it's easier to say, yeah, actually I am angry. And I need a moment before we talk about it. Or, yeah, I am angry. And are you open to hearing why? You know, so that we can we can communicate from our anger. Aggression is a different thing. Aggression is attacking, berating, defensive, combative, um, highly confrontational, and you know, is the thing that can lead to all, all types of stuff in relationships, right? Just just destructive patterns. And aggression, generally speaking, just does not have a place in relationships. It's not going to lead to healthy attachment. It's not going to lead to either of you feeling proud or secure or safe or trustworthy. And so it's okay to be aggressive. There's a time and a place for it. Generally speaking, in your relationship, that's, that's not it. So what we need to do is to come back to a healthy sense of anger or sacred anger right? To be able to say, yeah, you know, I, I am feeling angry right now. Are you open to hearing why? Or are, 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 like, are you okay if we talk about it right now? I think we as men sometimes underestimate what it's like to be on the other side of when you're angry, right? Like if you're six foot two and 240 pounds and you're angry, 
that might feel very confronting for your partner, you know, or even if you're five foot eight and, you know, 140 pounds, it still might feel very confronting for your partner because you might have the type of energy that's just so big and so confronting that it's just like, whoa, it's intense, right? So we have to be able to be honest about our anger. We have to be able to communicate that we're angry about things. We have to be able to understand that there is a place for our anger in our lives, in our relationships. And that place is usually informing us that a boundary has been crossed, either that we've crossed it within ourselves, we've allowed ourselves to act disrespectful, you know, disrespectfully or cross our own values or cross our own boundaries, or that we're crossing, um, that another person has crossed our boundaries, right? That our partner has said something that was disrespectful or has done something that felt demeaning or humiliating. And we need to be able to tune into that anger and say, hey, actually, I didn't like that. that. That made me feel angry. So anger has a purpose and a place. Aggression you know, that's mostly for sports and war and, and other places that, um, that maybe it's, it's necessary there. Like going back to how we started the conversation, we talked about like how nice guys finish last and that, you know, not having boundaries and just not standing up for what you believe in can be very unattractive and can get, get yourself into trouble. What do you think is the difference between that and like being kind and compromising in a relationship where like, you know, you've been married, you're married. I mean, you're married, you have a healthy, you know, relationship with Vienna you have a kid together. Like there's obviously been some compromise in your relationship, I would imagine through the years. So how can men have a healthier relationship with that? So as a general rule, we, we need to choose the compromises. Christopher Hitchens had this great saying where he said, choose your regrets. And I've always loved that. I've always loved that notion of like, you're going to regret something. You just are. You're going to regret things in life. And the, the whole notion of like, no regrets, it's like, well, that's, that's impossible. Like you literally, it's literally an impossible, you, you're putting yourself into this perfectionist loop that you can't fulfill. There are going to be regrets. So what, what can you live with? And I think when it comes to relationships, you have to choose your compromises, right? You have to choose the things. And my general rule of thumb is don't compromise on something that is going to lead to resentment because resentment is the corrosive acid of relationships. Resentment is going to decay and erode intimacy. It's going to decay and erode the, your sex life, your communication, your connectedness. It's just going to de decay and erode all of those things. And so as a general rule of thumb, try not to, uh, acquiesce to things that you know are going to build resentment. What, what that means then is that we need to have very direct conversations about where we stand in our relationship and what we're willing to tolerate and what we're not willing to tolerate. And anything that you can do as an individual to not allow resentment to build and instead to allow connection to be maintained and intimacy and closeness and and contact or connection to be maintained, the better. So what we want to do is we want to prioritize connection. We want to prioritize intimacy and we want to get out in the open the things that are building resentment or the things that the decisions or the compromises that might lead to it, right? So if you and your partner are talking about, you know, them taking on a new job, but it means, you know, working nights and you'll never see them, 
because you work days, then you need to have a very real conversation about, is that going to lead to resentment for either of you? Or, you know, you have to move, or you, you got a job offer to move cities. You know, is that going to lead to resentment? And can you have a very honest and meaningful conversation as a couple about whether it's a compromise that both of you are willing to live with, that you're willing to talk about the potential regrets within it? And, and if you can do that, then you can work together to actually create cohesive decisions within your relationship. And that's what really, really healthy couples do. The, the last thing, the second thing is in and around conflict. And in my wife is like one of the most successful couples therapists in America. She's just phenomenal. And we've worked together a whole bunch. And one of the things that I see time and time again in working with couples is that really great couples do a number of things well, but one of the things that they do really well is they recover from conflict quickly. And generally speaking, they will try and resolve conflict within the first 40 to, 48 to 72 hours. And if you allow conflict to go longer than that, people feel deprioritized. They don't feel like they're important. And that's when resentment starts to build, right? So again, how compromise plays into this, and then I'll, and then I'll pause. You do not want to compromise when it comes to conflict. And what I mean by that is you have to hold yourself to a certain standard, not calling your partner names, you know, not attacking them, catching yourself in your defensiveness, catching yourself when you're, you know, jackhammering a point home and you're just like lacing into them. You have to be the one that catches yourself in, in that, in that action. Because if you compromise on that, if you compromise on, oh, it's okay for me to call my partner a name. It's okay for me to shut down and not, you know, ignore them for three or four days. That type of stuff, that compromising of your own values, morals, and ethics, that is going to erode their respect in you and your respect in yourself or vice versa. And so we need to have a conversation as a unit about how we want to do conflict and what we're not willing to compromise on, right? So for my wife and I, it's like, there's no name calling. There's just no room for it. I've been in relationships where that's happened. I'm not interested in it. It's, it's not an area that I'm willing to compromise in. And same with her, she's not interested in it. So we actually have what we call the rules of engagement for conflict because it's going to happen and conflict can lead to connection or it can lead to the destruction of the relationship. I know that might sound dramatic, but hopefully you, you get it. So yeah, that's, that's my take on the compromise piece. We've covered so much like ground in like the last hour of speaking with each other. And I think people are going to get tons of value out of the conversation and they probably are going to want more. They're going to want to figure out, okay, like got a lot of information, got some action items I might need to work on, got some things that I might want to address, you know, starting today or tomorrow. But if I want to like pick up a book or if I want to like watch, you know, like a TED talk or a webinar or something, like where would you point them? I mean, obviously I know you have your book, you have your podcast, but like outside of that, like, is there a book you would recommend a man read to better understand himself and to be able to move forward? And then would you also, is there any books you would recommend for for a woman that's listening to this to be able to be able to better understand like men as a whole. I mean, sh shamelessly, I would say, read my book. It's called men's work. And for the guys that are listening, it's going to be a book where 
you're going to get a lot of real life experiences from myself, from men that I've worked with who are Navy SEALs and athletes. Every chapter has very specific exercises and questions that you can dig in. So it's meant to be not just a book that you read and think about concepts. It's meant to be a book that you read and you actually do the work alongside of it. So there's exercises and questions for each chapter. And then for, for women, it, you know, a ton of women have actually read the book and loved it because they, they get insight into the work that men are doing, the challenges that men are facing. And I think for a lot of women, what I've heard is that it gives them a, a huge amount of context for what their brothers, their fathers, their boyfriends, their husbands um, are, are dealing with and, and the challenges that they face that are oftentimes very different um, from what they're facing. So that's the that's the book that's men's work um and just yeah it's on amazon it's 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 everywhere so i think that's a great place to start and then iron john is another really really good one um that's by robert bly it's been out for i don't know four or five decades and that's more of a mythical uh mythical symbolic story about a coming of age for for a man and going through the initiation process and that's just a very profound book so i always recommend that one Awesome, man. Well, thanks for the suggestions. I'll be sure to link your book and your podcast in the show notes. Wanted to thank you for your time. It was great to have you back on. Again, like I said, I think a lot of people are going to get tons of value and wisdom for this conversation. So thanks again for your time. Thanks, man. I appreciate you uh, having me back on the show. You got it, man.